Good evening, everybody, and welcome to The Boys Are Back on Lee Judges TV. Listen, uh, Dan's been stuck at work, so unfortunately, you've got me to host today. So uh, I'll give it my best go. I'm sure I'll do better than him anyway, like, you know. So um, before we start, though, guys, um, I'd just like to say, like, our condolences go to um, Chigu, sadly, passed away today. Now, I didn't know him, but obviously, Dan um, did um, and done some podcasts with him and all that, like, you know. So uh, just want to relay our condolences to his family and, and rest in peace. Sad, sad news. Um, I don't think it was that old. Did, did any of you guys um, get to get on a podcast with him? Or yeah, I did. I did a few times, especially when um, when I first started the Chronicles of Aguna. Chig came on quite a few times actually um, at the start. So yeah, really shocked to hear the news. I, I saw on Twitter that he was just thirty-seven, I think, which is no age, is it? So um, oh my God, thirty-seven. Yeah, so yeah, rest in peace, Chig, man. Really sad news. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to pretend like I, I knew him that well because I think that's actually more disrespectful than just being honest. Um, but what I did know of him, he was he was a good guy, and, and we had lots of good conversations. So yeah, really sad news and, and shocking news. Thirty-seven, right? You know, so um, so we're just just uh, condolences go out to his family and everybody that knew him, friends and all that, because that is. Uh, shocking news that is to um, to be so young as well, like you know. So um, can't can't um, words are not enough, are they? Really, when when you when it's so young, so uh, very very sad. So uh, yeah, well you know, unfortunately life goes on, doesn't it? And we uh, we move on, and uh, as it happens, it puts things into perspective when you moan about uh, results and things like that, doesn't it? It just really does uh, realize, you know, you're blessed. Life life is. You know, you're blessed, really, like, you know, and uh, listen, we've had a few um, sad things in our lives over the last year or so. So um, it just shows you've just got to um, enjoy life while you're on here, like, you know, um, just sad, sad news. So um, going into the game on uh, sat Saturday, um, we'll, we'll talk about that for a little while and then we'll go into other things as well. My little... Uh, my question I've got, like, you know, I'm quite, uh, I was thinking about that for quite a while today, and I think I've come up with a corker, right, you know, so there you go, and it's re relevant as well, like, you know. So, 1-1 against Brighton, um, lots of people happy about it, lots of people unhappy about it, it sort of uh, split um, the fan base, whether this was a good result, Harry, or, or it wasn't. What What is your actual um, thoughts of it, first and foremost? So, I'd been saying going into this game that, you know, we had to be realistic about our expectations. You know, I think to to expect Arsenal to go from a largely inconsistent side last season to then, you know, start this season in a really poor way and then expect us to just turn the corner and never look back and never have any bumps in the road was completely unrealistic. Add to that, that obviously Brighton have started the season really, really well. They're a very good side. Um, you know, I think that actually to take 10 points from the last 12 available is a, is a pretty respectable return. And if you look at that four games in isolation, and I know you can't always do that, but if you kind of draw a line under the opening three, 
and you say, you know, we, there were certain circumstances that made that even more difficult. The fixtures were tough. We had players missing. You draw a line under that and the season starts from Norwich, then that's a respectable return. And actually going into this weekend, not a single team in the Premier League had managed to win four games on the bounce, which shows you how difficult this league is. So for me, when you factor all of that in and you factor in how bad Arsenal were or how not at the races so many of our key players were, I think you have to say it's a point game rather than two loss. That's how I look at it. Yeah, I, I, I see that point. And, and the other point, I think, before I bring uh, Graham into this, is that um, we was nine points off of uh, the top of the table uh, going into the, this run of games. Um, we have gained some points on, on all, the, all, all the teams. Um, so, and, and we're now only, I think, uh, a couple of points off of top four, which probably would be a realistic um, target, if I'll be honest. I don't think, you know, after watching um, the second half of uh, City and uh, Liverpool, I don't think we're going to be anywhere near the title, <laughs> right, you know, if I'll be honest. Graham, what, what's your thoughts of it like, you know, before I say mine? What, what, what do you think of, uh, first of all, do you think it was a good point or, or did you think it was not, not good. What's your thoughts? Well, first of all, mate, uh, first time on Lee Judge's TV, half pint productions. So I've come with half a pint. Well, no, thank you very much for that, though. You know what I mean? Thank you very much. Half and a pint. I, I wish you, I always wanted to wish you every success on the channel, mate, because I know it's growing. You and thank Dan, you very much. Uh, so here's drinking to uh, your health and to the success of the channel. And obviously, with Mark not here tonight, I've come armed with the cheese. So Mark. <laughs> I didn't let you down. I said I wouldn't let you down. I've come on with the cheese. Right, so. And I just wanted to congratulate Harry as well in his new job at 90 Minutes Football. Yeah, well done, Harry. That That's you, a guys. fantastic achievement, Harry. You're going from strength to strength, mate. I've just got Thank a message you. from 90 Minutes. Uh, in the team, you will be part of the midfield pivot. And we want you to drop in slightly to the left when the other writers go up that left-hand side. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the judge is going yeah, I think, first of all, the first thing I took out of it, uh, Judge, on, on Saturday night, I think it was a, a barometer of where we are as a team. Um, I don't think we're as poor as the early season results suggest, you know, because we had a bad start, as Harry said. We had a lot of problems in the camp, COVID, injuries. And I think that was slightly distorted how poor we were at the start by all those factors. But I don't think we're as good as a lot of people thought we were after the Tottenham result. And I think this was a little bit of a reality check. And... Uh, I agree with Harry. You have to put in perspective where Brighton are. Uh, first of all, I know they've had a set of easy fixtures, but not, not no fixture is easy in the Premier League, but they haven't played any of the big guns yet. But I was looking at some of their stats right over the, uh, prior to that game. They are uh, level with Liverpool on completed pre pressing sequences. Um, they are only one clean sheet behind the top two in the Premier League, Man City and Chelsea. So this is a very well-drilled side under Graham Potter, and he is an outstanding coach. And I think if we thought we were just going to turn up at the Amex on, on, on Saturday and just roll them over, this was never going to happen. I was slightly disappointed by the attitude of some of the players. I thought they found it probably easier to get up for the North London derby and probably couldn't uh, bring the same intensity into the Brighton game. Uh, and, and I think a lot of them were off it on Saturday for a number of reasons. Uh, I thought that um, Brighton obviously pressed us really well uh, and I don't think Arteta was able to find an answer. 
I think when I look back at that game, and I've watched it a couple of times since to try and work out how they were pressing us, it was very clever though that they were pressing us. They played like a, a flat midfield three. We've struggled this year against teams who've played back threes, Brentford and Chelsea, but this was slightly different. Brentford play a player between the lines. Chelsea is a three-four-three. Uh, they played like a three-five-two. So they had like an extra man in the midfield with two wing backs. They always seem to have a spare man in midfield. They're very clever the way they pounce, they set traps. Uh, pressing with four players from the front, deciding they waited to see which way we were going out and they literally shut down the, the sources the way we wanted to play out and try. And we like to build up, Judge, really with our uh, fullbacks connecting with our uh, wide players uh, more than a lot of teams. But they, they squeezed, they were very compact. He set them up very compact and they squeezed the central areas as well. Odegaard just couldn't get in the game. I don't think he knew where to stood. And a party just was totally disconnected from him, couldn't really find him at all. So they literally sort of like managed to nullify that party Odegaard threat, which is the one thing we have in our passing from central areas. So I thought that maybe looking back at it, could Odegaard and Smith Rowe, and I think Smith Rowe was our one bright spot offensively on Saturday, but could they have come slightly deeper to sort of get on the ball more? Uh, could Arteta have changed it? Uh, I think that what Brighton do very cleverly is they invite you to go long and they've got those three big centre-halves at the back to mop it up. We haven't got a physical Lukaku or a Haaland is somebody who can drag out one of their centre-halves, Lee. So, um, you know, and Bamiang is touching. He's, he, it's just all off on Saturday. He just wasn't at it. And, uh, you know, and I think a lot of the things you said in your AFTV interview on Saturday were absolutely spot on. I think, could you introduce Lacazette earlier? I think there's also, I'd like yeah. to, and I think there was a place for Martinelli. I'm a bit worried about Martinelli, his position in this squad at the moment. And I think that he could have come in on the left-hand side. If I make one tweak, it would be probably Maitland-Niles could have come in on that left-hand side because Lukonga was literally just playing as a left-back. And, and I, the distances between Partey and Lukonga were very wide on Saturday. So they were taking advantage of that and they were getting in, on Tierney's side, Trossard was getting in spaces there, even with Lukonga playing where he was. So I just think we got very disjointed. It was a poor performance, and the positives were, very quickly, the defending of uh, Ben White and Gabriel, which I think was outstanding. Ben White, his recoveries and his clearances. Gabriel, physicality. Ramsdale, his character. Now, the difference between him and Leno, and I said it today on the AFTV Tactical Insight show I did, was when Leno was in goal for Arsenal, he made a lot of saves. Uh, when he's in the game a lot, Leno, he's a better goalkeeper. But when he's not in the game, he's prone to the odd error. I think what I like about Ramsdale is he's not in the game a lot. But when he has to do something, I know he dropped the cross. But ultimately, he bailed us out there with that. You don't see goalkeepers making saves like that very often now, do you? But they're literally lunging out. In the, it's like a, a parry the ball out like that. I, you don't see that too often. I like his character, Ramsdale. And he's done something that Leno's not done at Arsenal. He's, a, he's managed to get the fans on side with him straight away. And I, and I think that is good. So I think defensively, there was defensive skill. It was a resilient performance, lacking offensively, but taking all things into consideration, the weather and, the, and all that, which I think was a factor in the football. I'm just glad we got that game with a point. I agree with Harry to have 10 points out of 12 after the international break mm. is still a good return, Judge. Yeah, I agree. Just going to try and put this super chat up over because I'm going to come to my point here. Uh, point was good enough based on our performance. This is, but listen, had Basuna played, the result would have been different. We don't know that. Brighton was playing well. Honestly, Pepe Lacquer should have started. This was 
a tough match for the kids. Listen, after the performance against um, Tottenham, it was very, very difficult to say, right, I'm going to I'm gonna drop uh, Aubameyang and put in Lacazette. Um, but the way that Brighton played was they stopped us uh, playing the ball out so we couldn't play through the lines and everything like that and basically uh, limited us to putting the ball up in the air um, for their big three central defenders to just do what they wanted to do, which was easy to, to do. So I, if I had a criticism of the game and a criticism of Mikel Arteta, he didn't change it around quick enough. I think that there was a time, it was just never a Bamiang's game. He wasn't holding the ball up. As soon as Lacazette come on, he got we got a grip of the game for about 10, 15 minutes and then it petered out. But he should have come on a little bit earlier. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, as you well know. Um, I felt that also we didn't really change it up a, a little bit. Like, you know, they they tactically got on top of us. So throw in a curveball, put in a Martinelli and go dot more, a little bit more direct. And, and I felt that... Yeah. For, for, for this game, with the weather conditions and all that, it wasn't one of those games where you got to get the ball under and play in it. Sometimes you just got to be a little bit more, I don't know, not so pretty. Just, just, just put it in a channel, chase it down, and who knows, they might make a mistake. The one thing that I feel about their central defenders, I don't think that they were, they're, they're pretty good at running. You know what I mean? So stretch them that way. And I just felt that that was something that we didn't do. We just lacked a little bit of creativity in that side of our game. And for that, I, I do blame Mikel Arteta. And the, the, the thing is that I think that when you look in hindsight, you look at everything, in, and I looked at the game a couple of times uh, today as well. I look at it and I think, you know, if you're going to go on from that point of view, 10 points from 12, I think is very, very positive. I think that if you'd have said at the beginning of the month, we get 10 points. I think most of us would have said, yeah, we'll take that. You know, um, I don't care what anybody says. A difficult game at Burnley. Difficult game at, at, at Brighton as well. They're games that probably you're expected maybe to win the games, but ultimately they're not, they're not, they're very, very difficult to win, you know? So we've got the result there. The, the, the great thing for me is that we look defensively so much better. We do, you know, we defended well yesterday. I think, 10, 11 corners that they had. Did, did you honestly think that they was going to score from those corners? I didn't. I felt no. we looked pretty confident from, from set pieces. So we defended very, very well. What we've got to do now is start uh, looking for, for how we're going to go attacking teams. And and I feel that it, the problem is Aubameyang. I think that we need someone that's going to hold the ball up, but we also need someone that's going to run behind. Unfortunately, Lacazette can't do that, but he holds the ball up. Aubameyang can do the other bit, but he can't do that. And I think it's causing some slight problems. Do you think that that's an issue or or am I being too negative, Harry? No, I think that that is spot on. I've been saying it for the last, for probably the last year now, that I feel like we need a hybrid between Lacazette and Aubameyang to really get the most out of this side. The problem is we got both of them um, at the club. They're both on, on good wages Lacazette, we haven't really been able to shift him just yet. And you could argue that in not shifting him, actually keeping him was... In not being able to shift him, sorry, actually keeping him made sense to not leave ourselves too short. So I agree with that. I think we need some kind of... Somebody who's a bit of both. Somebody who's a bit of a hybrid of the two. And I think that's been a big problem for a long time. I think for me, I don't know if our lack of kind of... What we saw the other day was so much because it was 
tactical or just because and, and that those players don't fit or just because they were having off days. I mean, Aubameyang did win aerial balls against Tottenham. He did link up with people quite well against Tottenham. But you could just see, couldn't you, on Saturday from five, ten minutes into the game that his touch was off. He looked like he didn't look at the races. The same could be said for Odegaard. The same could be said for Partey. So our big players didn't really kind of perform. And that was the biggest issue. But I guess, you know, it, we're going to have days like that because we know that this team are not good enough to compete at that level week in, week out. If they were, we'd be right at the top of the division. And we're not for a reason because consistency has been a problem. I agree that going forward, we, you know, we're just missing something still. We're still lacking something. And and I don't really know what the solution is. That's the big problem for me. I've said time and time again, I think we're too reliant right now on Smith Rowe and Saka to produce every single week. And they're young guys that are still developing, they're still learning. And and, and I feel like we need we need to share that burden around the team a little bit more because we haven't really done that. Um, you know, it was always going to be difficult to replicate the kind of intensity that we showed against Spurs and, and the passion we showed against Spurs because it was a derby. But the biggest disappointment for me in the weekend was the lack of energy because you looked at some of those players and you thought, you haven't played in midweek. You yeah, should be. You, know, you should be there and you should, you look at, you know, the way Liverpool performed after a, you know, a game in midweek in the Champions League. You look at the way Manchester City performed after a game midweek in the Champions League. I know they've got better squads and they can rotate a couple of players around here and there, but you just looked at those players and you thought you've had a whole week off and you've there's there's no energy there. That was my big worry. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I felt like the last 10, 15 minutes, you know, we was uh, dead on our feet again. Um, and we haven't had a game in midweek. You know, Saka looked very, very jaded towards the end. You know, I felt he should have probably come off 10 minutes before he did, you know, but, and this is, this is the problem. Do you think that, that this is where Mikel, I, I, I feel has, has got to start getting it right. You know, the substitutions, it left it very, very late last week against Tottenham. We was jading in the last 10, 15 minutes against Spurs. And we was not hanging on, but ultimately it, we, we sort of got over the line against Tottenham in the end. I know we won 3-1, but, you know, if they'd have got it to 3-2, we would have been struggling a little bit lower. What what, what's we, what do you feel about that, Graham? Do you feel that players are, Jane, or is it just maybe that Euro, the Euros is catching up? But looking at that yesterday, like someone like Stones has not even played for, for Man City at the moment. Like Obviously having a good rest at the moment. But Saka again... Coming off injured, tired towards you. I think it's it's not through injury. I think it's just lack of um, you know, like just tiredness. I think. I think what concerns me more is the lack of goals in the team. Um, I think there's obviously I don't know the truth in that what you said about players. Um, there seems to be a lack of intensity and emotional involvement in that game Saturday night. Whether it's because of the high of the North London derby, you think these players will be able to get up for it after a week's rest. So I don't know the reason why. Uh, I, you know, I, I think dropping Pepe uh, out the team is is almost like a, a big call in a way because he is a chief source of goals and he's somebody who gets into shooting positions. So I think my concern more is around the way Arteta sets the team up at times. Uh, and in this structure, the players haven't got the freedom sometimes to... To be creative, uh, that's always been my concern. I thought over the last two weeks we've moved away from it slightly. I thought when we went to the 4-3-3 at Burnley, uh, he, he gave the players the, the freedom that day to express themselves and 
uh, with Odegaard in his new role um, and playing an extra attacking midfield player, almost like we build up in a 3-2-5, but we were building up in a 2-2-6 at times, dominating uh, and and playing quite creatively. We just made the wrong decisions uh, and players didn't make the right pass, uh, wrong decisions, so to speak. Um, I don't know if it's... I mean, look, I can't understand why they're tired. I can't... Only the club, no. Uh, and, and the players, no. I can't really give you an answer on that one, Judge. I really do not know. I, whether it's... Um, I think sometimes we do look too too much at what the opposition do under Arteta. And also Arteta fits the players into his system. Under Emery, for all the criticisms of Unai Emery, and I got that and, uh, you know, I understood a lot of the things that Harry said but were spot on over the years about him. I think he gave the players a system that helped the players play better than what Arteta's got. It's all about Arteta as the players in his system. Um, and whether they get tired in that system, because they have to work off the ball a lot, um, the way he sets them up in these lanes and all that, um, has that got an effect on fitness? I really do not know. Um, but I, I'm more worried, not so much about the fitness. I, I just think Saturday was, you know, obviously all teams lose players to injury. I think Arsenal have always over the years had a history of, Ill, of, of injuries, haven't we? even under Wenger. So I don't know whether it's something going on in training. I don't know the reason for that. But I'm really concerned. I, I have to say, I've looked at our goal scoring away from home. Only Norwich have scored less goals than us away from home. We got one away goal in four games. We've only scored five goals, Judge, in seven Premier League games. Yeah. And that's our worst start since George Graham in 86, 87, the first season. So I get the thing about the fitness. What worries me more, mate, is more the fact that we're not scoring goals. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. I, I, I look at it and I, and, and I think it's more of a, a set-up play because when you look at this team and I look at um, I looked at Everton the games Man United and even um, Crystal Palace yesterday like you know they've not got better attacking options than us and they were entertaining opening up uh, Man United and I felt they should have beat Man United by the way Everton and I also felt that um, Brentford against West Ham really took the game to them defended well but still looked a threat I think we defend well but we don't look a threat and one of the reasons is that I, I watched the game today three or four times. Ulegaard, yes, he had a poor game. He did have a poor game. But he picked the ball up in midfield. There's no outlet. There was no one um, in in front of him. He's the midfield player. He's looking for wide players. They're, they're further back in, like, defending. He tried to get the ball. There's no there's no option for him. Like Bamiang was, was alongside him. So he had to try and turn back in. And there wasn't that you know, out there. And I think this is down to, you know, Arteta being far, far too cautious. And as you say, one goal in four games um, isn't great. And the, if you're going to carry on playing like this, the defence is going to get breached somewhere along the line. What are you going to do after that? I do feel he needs to express himself a little bit more on the, on the attacking side, particularly Harry, when he's got these attacking players in the team. You know, when I look at it, have Everton, have Brentford, have uh, Crystal Palace got options of Mar of the same ilk as Martinelli, Lacazette and Pepe coming off the bench. And where we are being very, very defensive in, in things that we're doing. He has to look at that and, and, and change that somewhere along the line. Yeah, he does. And, and the problem he's got now is that when we're picking up results, and we have done over the last four games, the margins between defeat and victory are too small. They're so small that you don't really have control over what the outcome's going to be. 
you're kind of relying on a bit of fortune or you're relying on something going your way. And if you're not in control, then, you know, you're not always going to get the desired outcome. So I, th I think you're right. You know, I think he has got to open us up a little bit at times, but then, you know, it depends on, on how you see it. How do you think a team should be built? Do you see it the Jurgen Klopp way where he came into Liverpool and he built the front line first and that was his, you know, his big thing? Or do you see it the other way around where you need that defensive structure, then you go on and develop the front lines? And I think what we're seeing is we're seeing that Mikel Arteta as a coach is very risk averse. He is very um, defence minded. He, he won't admit that. He'll always say that we want to go out and we want to win games and, and all of that. But it's clear that he is the type of manager that puts a big emphasis on defensive shape and stability first. You can see that by the fact that he's brought in defenders in Pablo Marie, Cedric, and then brought in defenders again because he wasn't happy with that. And he's not really invested all that much in the attacking positions. You know, barring Martin Odegaard, Pepe was already at the club, Saka, Smith-Rowe, Academy Products, Aubameyang and Lacazette are there. And I think he's looked at it and gone, you know, those options are not ideal, but in, in terms of some of them anyway, that, but that's what I've got and I can make do with that. So I'm going to focus on the defensive side first. Doesn't mean it's the right approach and I'm not even defending him in it, but it, it just feels like it's very clear that that's the way he wants to go. And I think over the next year or so, if he does continue in the job and he is given the opportunity, I do think you'll see wholesale changes in the front line as well. But people keep using that word process and I know people get wound up about it, but it is a thing. It is something that's going to take time because, unfortunately, we're not Chelsea, we're not Manchester City, and we can't go and spend uh, 250-plus million in one window. So it has to be built gradually. And, you know, and couple that with, couple the fact that he's got Aubameyang and Lacazette there and the, that he sees Smith-Rowe and Saka as, as a big part of the future. He's probably just decided that that isn't the first port of call and isn't the priority in this rebuild. So... Time will tell if he's right or not, I guess. I'll just remind you, Harry, that he's just spent 140 million in this window. Yeah, he has. But but the, the thing with that, Graham, and, and the thing that I find uh, that people maybe miss when they kind of throw that point out, I'm not saying you, but in general, is that he spent 140 million on six players. So if you divide 140 million by six, that's an average of 23 million per player. So in this day and age, that's not a crazy amount of money to be spending in the transfer market. It sounds like a lot on paper, but that's 150 odd million on six players. So, uh, or 140 million, whatever it is on, on six players. So it's, it's wholesale changes in terms of the number of players he's turning over. But is it that big of an investment when you consider how many are coming in? I'm not sure that it is. Just what going on to the Spurs game there, I think it was our best performance. Played really, really well. Uh, one player was missing from that performance yesterday. And uh, I'm going to give this one to you, uh, Graham, uh, about Granit Xhaka. Um, because it's no secret, we haven't played that well all season. He comes back against Tottenham and he plays well. People will say, well, he played against Chelsea and he played this game and that. But ultimately... For, for me, Tottenham was his team. I think that was a team that, with all the signings and everything that he's put out in the last few games, straight back in the team. I thought he played very, very well last week. And I thought he was missed yesterday. I have to say, I think with um, 
Lukonga, I think he's a very, very good player. But ultimately, he's only 21 and still learning his trade. So it's going to be difficult to say, right, yeah, come in and, and play 10, 15 games and, and dominate alongside there. And also, I felt that the partnership with um, Shaka and Partey looked a lot better than the partnership I see yesterday. I know it was a different game and everything there, but what, what, what's your thoughts on this, Granish? Do you think he was missed or is it just a bad day at the office? Um, well, I know me and Harry have talked about this quite a lot. Um, I do rib Harry quite a lot uh, about it as well, but even Harry says to me, uh, as much as he loves Granite, and um, uh, he's got the granite tattoo on his left arm there, I think, just out of shot. <laughs> I think, Harry, you'll admit, if Granite Jacker had played on Saturday night, as much as he would have been better, I think he he would have been better than a Congo on that side. I, I don't doubt that. And, and we'll say the reasons why in a minute. You Even you admit to me that he's the least press-resistant midfielder at the club, don't you? So would he? they were pressing us so much. Would he be able to play through that press? I don't think he would have made a difference in that side of the game. But I do think we miss him for the control. I think we miss him for the fact that he understands positioning, the role he plays in the, the team, that Arteta, the way Arteta builds up. He's, he's absolutely pivotal in the way Arteta wants to play because he's left-footed and he plays on that left-hand side. He drops into that space with Tierney bombs up the left-hand side. And then when we're uh, out of possession, uh, he gets closer to party, doesn't he? Than, 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 and he understands position. Because it's a bit like midfield, for me, it's a bit like everywhere on the pitch, like two centre-halves. You want your two centre-halves to be close together. You want your two uh, central midfielders in a pivot to be close together out of possession, to nullify the space and to be compact. And and I think he gives us that. So whether he was a, a miss on Saturday, I question in the fact I don't think he would have been press-resistant uh, the way they were playing. But I do think... He would have been better in that role in the Congo. I thought I watched the Congo. He was having to almost like run round on his right foot at times to take the ball, and I thought that he struggled really. He struggled understanding positioning. He, I, I couldn't work out if he. I don't know Harry was watching it as well as I was. What Harry's view was, but it was almost like he was. He was almost like playing as a left back after a while, uh, and, and I, I couldn't understand for the life of me because what that was. Because Kieran Tierney, I think, has been struggling with form. I don't know what you think this year, Judge. I think. He's not the player for whatever reason. He's We're going to go on minute. to a minute. Pardon? We're going to go on to. Uh, yeah, I just don't think he's at it at the moment. Uh, it could just be a dip in form. I'm not going to write him off. I'm not trying to throw him under the bus. He's a great player, one of the best fullbacks in the league. But even I noticed on Saturday, he wasn't quite getting up the pitch as much. It was partly to do with after a few forays forward early on. I think he's losing a bit of confidence about Kieran Tierney. And I think that came from the mistakes in the Chelsea game. Obviously, I thought that um, where. He got exposed and he, he made bad decisions, albeit he was left exposed two and one a couple of times. But I just don't think he's at it at the moment uh, on that left-hand side. Uh, but we can talk about it later. But I thought, so he was not getting up the pitch, but he was wide, uh, out, uh, halfway up the pitch on the left. Lukonga was playing almost like on the left-hand side, but not really understanding the role, playing as well as what Granite Jacker could do. So possibly with Jacker there, we might have progressed the ball better up that side um, if he could have played around the press. But I do think Jacker... We've talked about this before. We are a better team with him in the team because if you, you only have to look at the stats. Our win rate is higher with Jacker in the team. We score more goals with Jacker in the team. We concede less goals with Jacker in the team. So almost like if your stats tell you that we're better with Jacker in the team, plus he brings the leadership qualities to the group. Uh, and, and I think the players, he organises well, and I think the players listen to him. I think he, or whatever the 
But whatever we think about him, the incident a couple of years ago, he got sent off and threw down the armband. He's never lost not only the trust of all the managers, and, and as Harry loves to remind us, every single manager has picked him from Wenger onwards. So I do think he was a miss to a certain extent on Saturday. I don't think he's the answer moving forward. I think we need to move away from Granite Jack. I've, I've said that pre-season. I want to see us move to a 4-3-3 team. And I think he needs to get a, a different players in to do that. And I don't think Granite Jacker can play in a 4-3-3. But what he does in, in this team, the way Arteta wants to build up is pivotal for me. I don't know what Harry thinks about it. First of all, what did you think about the Lakonga in his position on Saturday? Yeah, so for me, Lakonga struggled for a couple of reasons. So first of all, you play... And, you know, Arteta has been quite obsessed, hasn't he, with having left-footed players in the centre-back and centre-midfield positions in the left and, and right-footed on the right. And I think you saw that because Lokonga, for me, part of his inexperience and maybe a little bit of naivety and, and maybe desperation to impress was seeing him get dragged out by the wing-back when the wing-back come forward to go out and try and protect Kieran Tierney. Another part of it was, I think, when you're a right-footed player playing on the left-hand side, you naturally gravitate that little yeah. bit wider, five, seven yards wider than you normally would, just because when you receive the ball, you'd rather have space to come in on your stronger foot than have to go out on the outside. So having Xhaka there, a left-footed player, means he can tuck closer into Thomas Partey and then be confident in carrying the ball outwards or playing a pass outwards with his stronger foot. So I think that that made him, in my opinion, too far, start position too far away from Thomas Partey. And I think Partey suffered from that as well. One of the great things about the Spurs performance was that Partey and Xhaka were so close together. Anything try coming through the middle, they swallowed it up. And we know Xhaka's not particularly mobile, but if you ask him to cover a square of space, he will do it quite well. Because as Graham said, positionally, I think he's very good. I think he's very switched on. I think he's got other faults that we've discussed time and time again, and I'm not going to go into them again. But I just think, I think Graham hit the nail on the head when he said he's not very press resistant. I don't think he would have helped us beat Brighton's press necessarily, but I think he would have helped us control the influx of Brighton midfielders flooding us in the middle of the park and creating those overloads that continuously caused us problems because he wouldn't have drifted as far to the left as Lokonga did because he would have looked at the situation, probably shown his leadership and said to Kieran Tierney, well, you've just got to stay back. You've got to be pinned back and I'm going to tuck in alongside Thomas Partey. I, I think when you play a 4-2-3-1, Xhaka needs to be in it because of that mm -hmm. discipline that even Thomas Partey doesn't have. Thomas Partey is not as disciplined as Xhaka in his positioning. He's more mobile and he's got other good things about him, better attributes about him, of course. But I just think those two as a pair, it's not because Xhaka's the greatest player in the, on the planet. It's because there's a good balance between all the attributes that you need to have a very good and effective midfield. Yeah, yeah. I, do you know, you know, it's a great point you made there. And I, I do think that the inexperience of uh, uh, the Congo was exposed in this game where, do you know, like um, someone like Shaka got a bit of experience with a turnaround and said, right, I'm sticking in here. I, this is my job. Tierney, get yourself round and just do your left back job. And I think that that was something that Lukonga probably hasn't got at this moment. And 
Um, I, I do feel that that is a problem. Going forward now, would would you still go with Lukonga in there, or would you now change, put maybe put Ulegard in there for the for the two up and coming home games, or would you still stick with with him, Graham? Um, it's a difficult one. I think if he's going to keep Lukonga in there, I think we just got to think about the way we play. I want Lukonga to be in that pivot next to uh, party. So to do that, I think that maybe Kieran Tierney needs to think more about what he's doing and maybe we need to... Because I think that the teams have sussed out how we play now, Judge. I think they've sussed out that how we broke, how we build up. Tierney bombed up that left straight away. They're just waiting for it. So why can't he stay back more, which will give um, Lekonga the chance to sit closer to Party. Party can be somebody who plays slightly higher up uh, to break the play up, more, more or less, um, and connect to Odegaard further up the pitch. And Lekonga can sort of like sweep more. Like uh, he's, he, Although he's right-footed, I've seen him use his left, and I think he can pass it on that. But I just think he needs to be in a more natural position for him to play. So I think if Tierney, Tierney, Tierney as people keep saying, I'll say it wrong, Tierney, if Tierney sort of like holds back more, He's more disciplined at times. That, I think, will benefit Lukonga. And then maybe, I know Tomiyasu is somebody who plays more inverted. And he's when when Tierney bombs up, he scoots across in a three. And they, they come across the pitch. I think Gabriel goes to the left. White comes more central. And Tomiyasu goes slightly forward, but more inverted. Tomiyasu, I noticed in the first game, I was at the Emirates when he played... When we beat Norwich 1-0, I don't know if you noticed, but on that day, he was playing quite high up the pitch. And his energy up and down was infectious, I thought. And he, I know he was coming inside a lot, but why can't we use him more or less going forward more in support to the play on the right-hand side and maybe Tierney not hold his position sometimes? I think that would help Lukonga. But if we're not going to do that, if we're going to play this system where Tierney goes up high, I'm questioning whether Lukonga can be in the team. Uh, and uh, I think then you might have to change the formation the 4-3-3 like he did at Burnley, or maybe trust another midfielder in there. I mean, Maitland-Niles, um, could he do a role there? Uh, because let's face it, I mean, if we, if, he, if if you want someone to sit on that left-hand side uh, in a defensive sort of role, he understands that. He played in a left-hand defensive role in the past. So he's more, I think, apt for that position than, than I think what Lekonga is. I think it depends how he wants to set up. I would like to see us move to a 4-3-3 with the players we've got. Certainly for these two home games, we've got Crystal Palace at home and Aston Villa. I'd like to see us a bit more adventurous in these games, you know, sort of like not to structured and maybe play with the three in midfield and, and play like we did at Burnley with Odegaard dropping into that left-hand space. He can drop into that left-hand space, you know, that the Conga can't. Possibly have him playing at eight or even six stroke eight. He can play that role. He's played it for Norway. Yeah. He, he can drop into that area and, and then we can change the dynamic how we build up in the three. That, that's just a suggestion. But if we're going to play Lekonga in the pivot, I think we need to think about how we use it in that. That's my view on it. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I don't think there is one outstanding solution now. I don't think you can say it's got to be this one or that one and just stick with it. I think he'll tailor it to different opponents and different games. And I think when you look at how Lekonga performed, and, and he wasn't the only one that had an off game list, I don't even think he was that bad. I just think that he just needed to be reined in a little bit. He mm. didn't have that person next to him doing that. But I mean, for me, I, I'm a 
I'm a massive fan of Italian football. I watch a lot of Italian football. I've read a lot of sort of theories on Italian football and they're the best defenders in the world, right? And their basic principle, one of their most basic premises is you defend the width of your penalty area first. That is the priority. You stop people coming through the middle of you, then you let them play from wide and you bank on having enough bodies and enough people facing the ball to be able to deal with crosses coming in. And you you worry about that, that central third of the pitch is the most important. And I think what Brighton did really, really well with their wing backs was tempt Lokonga into going out wide and creating a hole in the middle for the likes of Lalana and Gross, etc., to step that bit further forward. And on the other side, equally, they did it to Tomiyasu as well. You know, Tomiyasu doesn't want to be dragged out to the flank. Graham mentioned it. He's an inverted, he's more of a centre-back than he is a right-back. Yeah. He wants to be as close to Ben White as he possibly can so they can defend as a unit. He doesn't want to be dragged out there. And Brighton just capitalised on our naivety or the naivety of a couple of players that kind of went and followed the ball. And, and to a degree, you've got to do that, but you've got to also understand that you're defending that middle third is the priority. And if they want to throw 100 crosses in, your two centre-halves should be able to deal with a centre forward, like that, you know, that's that's how I believe defending should be done first and foremost. So it's, um, I just think we got we were a bit naive and we got dragged out of position a few too many times. I agree. It says, like, you know, uh, Premier said we have no tactical plan. We need to change our tetra out. I don't think we wasn't we didn't have no plan. I I think what what happened is that Brighton knew exactly what we was going to play and they 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 tactically got the better of him. And that's where I feel that Arteta has got to have uh, another plan to change it for whatever reason. I think for the next game, um, the next two games, Ulegaard comes in there, play alongside him and uh, Smith Rowe comes in and then Martinelli comes on the left-hand side. That's that's what I would do, like, you know. Um, give us that little bit more uh, directness. I think that that's something that we like, change it up a little bit. And I think that's where Mikel, I won't say no tactical plan, it's just doesn't change things up enough for me, like from that point of view. Just going to talk before we go on to the team. I'm going to talk about Tommy Asu a little bit. I I was impressed with him yesterday because, oh, sorry, on Saturday because I felt we got the runaround in the first half. I thought he was like really under the cosh in the first half. He changed his game second half. He done went back to basics. Didn't carry on doing the same thing. I like that. I felt it was like, hold on a minute. This ain't working, so I'm going to change. I'm not going to try and play. I'm not going to mess about. I'm going to just defend and defend properly. I like that. I like that attitude of uh, of it all, like, you know. And uh, I was impressed with that. I, I know he didn't have a great game, but ultimately, I think from being absolutely dominated in the first half, he evened it out in the second half. I, I think that that should be commended. I felt that that was a good thing. I've seen so many right-backs or full-backs continue to keep doing the same things and getting done, done and done. He didn't. He changed his game. Whether that was um, Arteta telling him to or he'd done it himself, I felt he'd done well in the second half and, you know, um, wasn't ex- as exposed as much in the second half. So I'll give him a little bit of credit for that. Kieran, Kieran Tierney, though, is a big worry for me. Like I'm going to say this now. He's a big... Right, let's get it all out there. I love him. I think he's been great for us. He's been fantastic for since he signed for the club. But these last few games, I watched him go. It's not just his all-round plays. Crossing has been poor. Everything about him at the moment has been not very, very good. He hasn't lasted games. He looks a little bit jaded. Now, is it one of these things 
and I'll throw it out to both of you who can both answer it. Um, is it because of the Euros? He's had no break in the summer and I think maybe his body needed a more of a longer rest and everything like that. Um, and, and maybe that's the reason why or is it just that he's just out of form? It's probably... Bit of, it's a, yeah, I was going to say, it's a, bit of, it's a bit of both, Judge, I think. It's a bit of both. I think he, he, he didn't have a rest. He played in the Euros uh, and I do think he's out of form. Um, and happens to... Every single player has dipped in form. I do think he'll come back from it. I do think that uh, he'll, he'll get stronger and he'll come back. But um, I think at the moment he's just struggling for form, maybe struggling for confidence, you know, for the first time in his Arsenal career. Uh, also, I think, um, I don't know if he's playing with an injury at times. I, I, I just wonder if, if he's carrying something. I, he just doesn't seem himself this season, does he? For whatever no, reason. And, and it's hard to put your finger on it without, I'm not on the inside of the club like Harry. <laughs> uh, get that one in there. <laughs> Only joking. Um, so um, no. So uh, look, there's something not quite right about him. I just hope he's having a going through. All players have bad games. All players have dipping form. I do think that uh, form is temporary. Class is permanent. I always think that. I do think that he'll come back. Um, I think coming back to the point you made about Tommy Asu, that would have been a massive learning curve for him on Saturday, Judge. Mm. The Premier League, you would have learned a lot about the Premier League from that first half. And I do admit, I was, he, he showed great character second half because I, I looked at him on Saturday and at times he was like up against two of their players. You had um, uh, Cucurella on that side and I think it was Moda. Uh, you know, he was he was sort of oppressing him as well. That Cucurella, by the way, what a player he is. Well, brilliant. I thought he was fantastic. I'll tell you what, when I read that Barcelona let him go, I thought, when I look at what Koeman's got at the moment, that Barcelona team, I can't believe that he he wouldn't make that team better. I was, I, I didn't, that's the first time I've seen him. I was so yeah, impressed. very impressed. Brilliant player. Um, so, yeah, so uh, Tommy has a great character. And I love the way he fronted up afterwards, the way he did his sort of post-match interviews. A bit like Ramsdale, these guys, tremendous character. But just coming back to Tierney, before Harry comes in, I think it's a bit of both. A bit. Of, he came back from the Euros, played a lot of football. I think he had injuries. He's been, might have been struggling to get over a knock. And when sometimes when you you've had a knock or something, maybe you're worried about getting another injury. Maybe it's that. You know, there's clearly something mentally I think not right about him as well as physical. But he clearly is struggling for form. Uh, I don't know what Harry thinks. That's my view. Well, before we yeah. say that, Harry, come on, read the super chat here because uh, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't want to. Uh, Ciao, guys. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> Ciao, guys. Harry's been recently busy. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers, Thomas. <laughs> I don't know what he means by that, Harry. Like, you know, but there you go. Like, you know, full, you don't know what Ciao you. means, Judge. Have you ever let, uh, have you ever left? Ciao, I think it means hello. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I, you know, I mean, I know that. You know, so is, is he just is he just become a father, Harry? Yeah, for the second time, is he? Is he? Is that? Yeah, no, not yeah. long ago, <laughs> not long ago, <laughs> just a couple of weeks ago. Um, but yeah, just going back to Tierney, I I, I agree with Graham. It's, it's a combination of things. I've never, well, I haven't in a long time got the impression from Kieran Tierney that he's fully fit. It's always yeah. been my big kind of concern about him is that as good as he can be and as good as he is at times, is is he someone you can build a team around? Is he a left-back that you can say you can rely on week in, week out to be at the same level? And I think his injury history has probably shown us that there is a bit of a concern there. I'm glad we got Tavares in, in the summer because I think he will have a role to play this season. And what I've seen of him so far, 
I've I've liked him. I like his raw physicality, and I think there's a player there that you can you can really mould into something good. Um, the other thing for me though that we we haven't touched on with Tierney, or we touched on it briefly, is that I think he's just suffering from our predictability. You know, every time we build up play, we're looking to get the ball out to him on the left-hand side. And it just feels like teams at the moment are kind of in a place where they'll kind of, to a degree, let Kieran Tierney have the ball in those positions and then worry about, as I was saying, that we should be doing, defending their box, making sure that he can't pick people out, making sure that they get their midfielders back to the edge of their own penalty area and prevent those late runs into the box that Kieran Tierney quite often used to like picking out with cutbacks. So I think it's it's partly his form. I don't doubt that he's a great player, but it's... it's his form, his fitness, it's probably a bit of a lack of confidence. And I think he's suffering from the overall predictability of the way we move the ball forward. Yeah, I think that, do you know what? I'm I'm, I'm agreeing with both of you there. I think that, uh, and one of the, I don't think he's 100% fit. I, I, I look at him and I, 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 and the modern fallback, if you like, um, is up and down, you know what I mean? It's a lot of a lot of hard work getting up, like you know, box to box, isn't it? Really, if you think about it, like, um, and you've got to do it at pace, then you've got to get back. So you've got to be right on the button for that, like. And I just feel that he's not quite at the races fitness wise, and I think that's having a knock on effect on everything. I really do like, you know, because he is a, a really fantastic player for us, or has been. And I just think that the the, the problem I think we've we've Mikel has got with him is that you've got the international break now, so um, he goes off on international duty, so he's not going to get the rest that he needs. Well, what I mean is rest and train, so he's going to come back. And, I, and I, I feel that that's what he needs. He needs about a week off and then a real good um, uh, hard few sessions of like getting himself back into to fitness. Now, the problem we've got with him, and I think this is because I think what Harry says, we do rely on him or a little bit, I think we're little bit too much go to if to him if I'll be honest is that are we going to carry on playing him to try and get him back into form or do we take him out that 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 is the the big problem we've got two home games where I think he becomes pivotal to us because yep. you know that attacking side of our game that's where we look to to break in and I I feel that this is something that Mikel has got a lot of time to work on the training ground now to just change it up a little bit and not keep relying too much on him, like you know. So um, hopefully, hopefully, um, we we will get we'll get him back into the form, like you know. Tom asks his back, like you know what I mean. Can you read this one, area? I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I'm uh, whatever that is about. He says, "Been watching him on the Chronicles of Aguna and other platforms a lot." Thank you very much, Tom. Ah, much right, okay, like, you know what I mean. So. Uh, well, like, you know, like, Tom, you got a fan here, Harry, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Thomas, you must let me know when you're in London, mate. I need to buy you a beer. <laughs> <laughs> so we go from there, like, you know what I mean? Right, this is a good one, not because we're just going to finish. Because I think this is a poignant at the club as well, because I think we've got not so many games in there. So what about the future of Eddie and Balligan? You know, what's Balligan, by the way? What's a goal? What, not a goal, what, what a lovely bit of skill for the... For the penalty, and I think someone actually said um, to me the other day, he is too good for the under twenty threes, but not quite good enough for the first team yet. So, like you know, alone for me was like crying out for him to be honest. So, like T A T A V F C. What about the future of Eddie and Balligan? The club might as well loan them out. 
so they can progress elsewhere if he, if he's done never playing them. And of course, well, Eddie's only got uh, a year left of his contract, so if you loan him out in January, he's going to go for free. Balogun, I think, is 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 a must, guys. What, what would you say to that? Go on, Graham. Well, I agree with you, Judge. I think he should have been loaned out. Uh, and what an unbelievable piece of skill. Oh, it was unbelievable. I think the guy brought him down because he pissed him off. Yeah, uh, but, it's unreal, <laughs> wasn't it? It's unreal. But yeah, he, he needs to go out on loan. Um, so yeah, um, and I agree with what you that uh, guy you spoke to said. It's almost like at the moment he's too good for the um under 23, he's not quite good enough for the, for the first team, but. I think when he came in, in that first game of the season, again, when he plays with the under-23s, I think he's got a lot more freedom. And this worries me, the way Arteta sort of like plays this structure up front. I just wonder if, because he, he gave him a, a role in that game that was uh, in the team shape. And, and when I've seen him for the under-23s, he's more free. And this is what does worry about Mikel Arteta sometimes. There's uh, nothing wrong with coaching team. Wenger always used to coach the team from the defence to the midfield. But when you get it up front to those front three players, you just want them to express themselves and just yeah, do what's I, instinctive. I totally agree. And, totally. I just think, and, I, and I just think Balogun, I'm just worried that he's being overcoached. Uh, uh, or he's certainly overcoached in that game. But yeah, he needs a loan spell. Uh, Niketia, I think we were looking to move him on, weren't we? So... I think if you look at Arsenal at the moment, there's five or six players I'm looking at thinking they're not going to get a lot of games this season, are they? Balogun's one, Niketia's one, Elneny's one. Started to wonder about Nicolas Pepe. Um, uh, Martinelli is a big concern, as you know. So I, I'm thinking about it. And, and the reason why I say that, Judge, is because I think Arteta has got his team now pretty much his team, isn't it? If you look at it, he's what Harry said about that money he spent, his six players, apart from Tavares, who, who's almost like backup, admittedly, but those five players are virtually playing all the time now. And the rest of the players he's playing are the players he's given new contracts to. So if he's, I don't know how many of those players, like Lacazette's out of contract, isn't he? Or, or he hasn't renewed. Uh, Pepe uh, is an Emery signing. Um, and I don't think he's got a new contract, as he, uh, Harry uh, will correct me if I'm wrong. I'm looking at it thinking that he's he's got the players he trusts he wants to play now. So I'm a bit worried about that. He wanted to move Niketia on, I think. In a, um, and I think, funny enough, I, I look at Brighton uh, on on uh, Saturday night. If they had a forward, they would have heavily punished us and probably yeah. beaten us by two or three goals. That's the only thing their team... I know Malpai has been scoring a few this season, but generally they've been missing chances for the best part of the year under Graham Potter. It's the one part of their team that's lacking. Yeah. And their X, their XG on Saturday night, Judge and Harry, Harry knows this, was something like 1.16 is 0.5 per shot. So basically they were, you know, for all their, they had 21 shots. And I, I can't remember rounds they're making more than one or two saves. So, you know, so they were almost like, it's almost like if Balogun went on loan to Brighton or, or, or Niketia went on loan to Brighton, or even if he was sold to Brighton. Just imagine how that would improve their team, in my opinion. But in answer to your question, I think Balogun needs a loan. I think Niketi is not really part of the, uh, part of his plans, and I, I expect him to move on with Lacazette at the end of this season. Yeah, I think on the um, on the Balogun thing, I wonder if the plan. So obviously he got tied down to a new contract over the summer, and that was something that we were umming and ahhing about, wasn't it, for a while? He, he wasn't committing, and we didn't really know what was <laughs> happening there. I wonder if what happened at the start of the season. 
with Aubameyang and Lacazette and the COVID thing, if that scuppered Arsenal's plans to potentially move him out. I'm not saying they were definitely going to do it, but you just look at it and if you've got Aubameyang and Lacazette and Martinelli and Pepe and Saka and Smith, and you've got all these forwards at the club. I, 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 I don't know. There's a part of me that thinks that maybe had those two not been absent, for the first week of the season, and we didn't have to turn to the likes of Balogun, mm. we might have seen him go out on loan. I don't know that for sure. It's just a, a kind of hunch that I've got. Um, and now, unfortunately, without Europa League football, and you know, he's not going to play all that much, and, that, and that's a problem for him. The the Enketia situation, though, I, I see it really differently. I mean, he doesn't want to sign a new contract. Fair enough. You know, he, he doesn't think he's going to get the game time here. Fine. But then Crystal Palace came in and made him an offer and he didn't want to accept it because he feels that he's above that. And the fact of the matter is that Eddie Nketiah has never proven himself as a Premier League level striker, not at any point in his career, scored a few goals for the England under-21s. And if he thinks he's above Crystal Palace level, he's got another thing coming. So that really put me off Eddie Nketiah as a character um, because, you know, he's not ever really pulled up any trees at Arsenal. He's done a Scored a couple of goals in the odd, you know, League Cup game here and there. Scored a couple in the, the Europa League against really poor opposition. Went on loan to Leeds. Didn't get a look in under Marcelo Bielsa, hardly. Uh, couldn't keep Patrick Bamford out of the side. And now, you know, he's in this place where he's moaning he's not getting football, yet he doesn't want to join someone like Crystal Palace. And I, for me, I don't want those type of people um, around our football club. If you have ambitions as a young footballer, to be playing regularly at the highest level, you take one of those moves. You don't sit at Arsenal knowing you're not going to play to run down your contract. Like it, it, I'm not, I'm not entertaining. You know, no guarantee, is there, Harry, that you get a contract after this? You know what I mean? Yeah. I know a lot of people are saying like, "Oh yeah, you'll be free and all that." But if you're not playing, you can easily be forgotten. Yeah, you know? he could easily end up playing in the lower level. He could easily yeah, end up and, in the championship. And, and if he'd have gone to Crystal Palace, you know, Crystal Palace would have given him some more time because they've spent money on him, you know? So like next yeah. season with someone like that ain't spending no money, they're not going to give him the time maybe that, that a club would have done with, with the big money, you know? So I, I fear for him, like, you know, I don't think he's been advised very well, if I'll be honest, like, yeah. you know? So we're just coming up to the last couple of minutes. Um, just before Thomas again is back in, like, very good lineup <laughs> tonight. Love it. Keep it up. Thank you very much, Thomas. Right. Finally, just the last question, and only a couple of minutes to go. Pepe, is this the doing a debate? Oh, well, I've got my debate question, and I like so right. Yes, <laughs> right, yeah. so that we're going on to me debate question. Thank you very much. My debate question is Abamyang. Um, is he in the top five best ever strikers at Arsenal? I'll let Harry go first. <laughs> How far are you going back, Judge? Well, we can go back as far as you want, like, you know what I mean? So, um, because me and you, me and you go back a bit, don't we? I mean, we, we can go back a little bit. Like, <laughs> I'll just give you a few of the names that are, that are coming in there. Terry, well, the, obvious, the obvious answer is no. Uh, <laughs> Dennis Bergamp, Ian Wright, I would Van Persie, um, would come into the to the reckoning as well. Addy Bayor, uh, Abamyang, John Radford, you want to go back that far? Frank Stapleton, go back to Cliff Baston, Ted Drake. Mm, so. Whereabouts would he would he, would he, would he fit in? I, I think he's been fantastic for the Arsenal, by the way. Um, it's only this last year that he hasn't. Um, and I think that he's, if, if I just go first, I'll just let, line it up for you. I think 
this if he'd have left when he did, I think his legacy would have gone on a lot higher. I think the the more he carries on at the Arsenal going the way he is at the moment, he's he's losing credibility as being one of those top strikers. You know, I've never uh, for me, you know, Ian Wright, for instance, has never had a run like this. All the times that he was at Arsenal, um, where I would look at Ian Wright and go, do you know what? You're not quite the player you were. Nicholas Anelka has to come into this ranking as well. I think uh, as well what a player he was. So where does he lie? Where what what, what are our thoughts on that? Is he a top, in the top five or not? Simple yes or no, I do. Of all time, he can't be for me. Um, not of all time. But if I'm looking at the, the players that I've watched, then it's a different story, because I don't remember the the Radfords, the you know the Ted Drakes, all of those guys. You know, for me, the only ones that I'd put above him would be Thierry Henry, obviously Ian Wright, Dennis Burkamp. I think Nicholas Anelka had much more talent than Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, but he just wasted it, man. Like it's just such that's just such a waste of a career, Nicholas. I know he had a good career in the yeah. grand scheme of things. But I just when I when Nicholas Inelka first burst onto the scene, I felt like he could have done so much more. Oh, I don't I think really... he was Thierry Henry. He would have been better than Thierry Henry. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he had more ability. I, I don't really remember Alan Smith, but I've got to put him up there just because he scored some really big. Yeah, Smith Smudger, yeah. Um what, I, about, I, what about what about Cannon? Canu was a bit Canu was what I call a cult hero rather than a legend. So someone who people loved and adored, and I loved Canu as well, but he wasn't um, he wasn't a, a club legend in my opinion. So I'm going to put Aubameyang in the top five I've seen, but I accept that he's not in the top five of Arsenal strikers of all time. Great. I would say I would say my top three. I mean, I've been watching Arsenal longer than you, Judge. In fact, I yeah. went my first Arsenal game on fifth of September, nineteen seventy. We beat Tottenham 2-0 at Highbury and George Armstrong scored two. So um, that's how long I've been going. So uh, 51 years. That's when my dad took me to his first game. A lot longer than me. A lot longer than me. (laughs) (laughs) I I would say my top three strikers at Arsenal are Henri, Bergkamp and Wright. Then I would go Van Persie. Um, I would say in Arsenal history, Baston and Drake have got to be in there. I never saw them play. I've only seen them on film, but they have to be in there. Um, I think John Radford has to be in there. Played in the 71 double winning team. Great partnership with Ray Kennedy. I agree with Harry. I think Alan Smith was incredibly underrated. Not only did he score the goal at um, Anfield that set us on the way to that great night in 89, 26 by 89. Remember, he scored the winning goal in our last European final victory back in '94. Yeah. So he has to be in there. Score for in the two title winning yeah. titles as well. I don't think that and should I, be taken. Do you, do you count Alexis Sanchez? Do you count Alexis Sanchez as a forward? Ooh. Good point. I don't, I don't count him as a centre forward. I... You count him as a striker. No, nah, I don't. You don't. I would have so, more of the wide player. I think he'd be. Yeah, you know, play very, very well. And, and I'll just throw one more then in there. I know he wasn't at his peak when he was at Arsenal. And I think one of the things that's going to count against Pierre Emerick Aubameyang in the grand scheme of things is probably because he's playing in a slightly weaker Arsenal team. And when you look at those great players like Wright, um, uh, Bergkamp, Henri Van Persie, they played in great Arsenal teams. Um, 
I'll throw in there. He was a legend at another club. Do you get it first? A legend at another club, played centre forward, a real old-fashioned centre forward, left foot. Malcolm played. McDonald. Malcolm McDonald. You got it. Malcolm McDonald. I think was he wouldn't be up there in your top five or six, but he was a he, he had a, a you know, class, wasn't he? Like you know what I mean. He was a class forward. And just one thing, then, Judge, your old favourite to finish with, Charlie Nicholas. Charlie, Charlie. So I wouldn't say in answer to your question, Aubameyang is in the top five. I wouldn't even say he's in the top eight ever of Arsenal. I think he would probably be in the top ten. That's my answer. That's uh, well. Anyway, so food for thought there. I thought it was a good question. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm. I just feel that you know a couple of seasons, like last season, I think Aubameyang before he signed that contract, people were going, yeah, yeah, he's in the top five. I, Can I, we just? Did you sort of like change it then to say that he's probably the best Arsenal forward in the Emirates era? Would you say that'd be a fair way of judging him? Ooh. What, better than Van Persie? Well, no, that's, Van, that's... Van Persie you know, for me is, yeah. Better than Adebayor above and Van Persie above. I can't forgive Adebayor for running down the end of... No, for a couple of seasons for Arsenal. He was fantastic for us. Um, I don't really, I don't even really take issue with that thing where he ran down the pitch. Like, I just think, like, in the heat at the moment, like, we, I would do something like that because I'm an arsehole like that. If you, if, if you were if in that end, then Harry, how would you react if he ran down that end and slid on his knee? I'd have, I'd have been, I'd be, I'd have been frothing at the mouth if I was in the crowd. <laughs> but if I was Adebayor, I probably would have done it as well. So, <laughs> I think, like, don't forget, Omri had a season at the Emirates, didn't he? Yep. <laughs> I remember he scored that. That he- was it a header against Manchester United? Yeah, oh, the place lit up, didn't it? Like, yeah. I mean, so that was unbelievable. I would have to say, um, you know, if you're going to say that Omri played in that, like, I-, I still think that uh, Van Persie is probably the best in the Emirates era. He was sensational for us for, for a year or so. I- I- he scores when he wants. I- I- you know what I mean? He was just, you know, absolutely gutted when he went. I think a lot, of- lot for me, I thought he was, you should never have been allowed to go to Man United. We should have done everything to keep keep him. Um, he, he couldn't. He couldn't score when he wants, Judge. He was always on the bloody treatment table. Yeah, he was. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> he was. But when he when he was fit, my God, I, I did I did love him as a player. I have to say that. Like, yeah, he like, was his, his goal. I was at that game when he scored that volley against Everton. I don't know if you remember it when oh, yeah. I think Song clipped in that ball. I mean, that was an unbelievable strike. The, the goal scored one, scored well, one better know. than that for Man United, didn't they? From a Wayne yeah, Rooney pass. He did. But you yeah, know what I mean. Did. The, the, I just regret the way it ended for him. Yeah, I, I do. I do. I, I do regret that. And um, you know, I just think that um, the reason that he's got he's, he's not like now is because he was so good. And I, you know, I just, I'm just thinking about the goal, the goal against uh, Tottenham when he, oh, you know, what I mean, like Loris, we couldn't get nowhere near it. I just think he was a. Do you remember? I remember the goal we got against Charlton, Charlton away. Do you remember on the volley? Oh, that was unbelievable volley! Yeah. Sensational, like you know. So for me, Van Persie probably like um, the hat trick at Chelsea. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that you know he done it in big games as well. Big games. I'm not, not nothing against the Bamian, but for me, Van Persie. So uh, listen, that's a great discussion for another day. That is, you know, we can talk about that uh, Van Persie and. Um, and what, what what his legacy was at Arsenal. That's a good um, good thing to go there. But we're going to wrap it up there. We've had a great um, hour there. So, uh, listen, thanks for everybody joining in in the chat and everything like that. And, uh, of course, thanks to my two 
fantastic guests today, like, you know, in uh, Harry and, uh, and of course, um, we, we call him Graham, like, you know, Graham the Cheese, you know, so... Uh, the, the thing that impressed me tonight... You guys, and... The, um, the thing that impressed me, Judge, is you didn't walk out for half an hour I was talking. No, 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 <laughs> I didn't know what come in. That was more important, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so we'll leave it at that, like, you know. So, guys, listen, have a great couple of days um we don't know when we're going to be on next because um kevin um is not with us on thursday because believe it or not he's um he's working for talk sport and uh blown us out so um you know <laughs> i'll have to have a look at his contract when i uh when i can't you on. get on talk sport judge so yeah i don't want to go i'm not i'm, I'm not a talk sport person you know uh if i'll be honest i, don't, I have been on there a couple of times but uh you would be if you get on with laura woods wouldn't you I could make an exception for Laura, I suppose. <laughs> Why not? Not in with the judge with Laura. That'd be good. Wouldn't it? That's <laughs> Harry with Thomas and you with Laura. <laughs> uh, you with Mark with the cheesecake. You know what I mean? There you go. <laughs> Listen, guys, thanks for joining us and um, and uh, everybody in the chat and all that. So we're out of here now. So uh, have a great day, great evening. Take care of yourselves and each other. Come on, you guys. <laughs>